Good morning. So how are y'all? You doing good? Feeling good? Pumped up, ready to go? Sweet. So Dan will be talking about hell. We thought we'd cut the air off about midway through and therefore the fans. I'm just kidding. I just made that up. But uh, we are going to use the fans. Keep them close to you. Uh, there is a purpose for those fans and uh, I'll let you know about that as we get into the message. So how many of you would say that sometimes, maybe a lot of times, you make decisions that absolutely make no sense? I mean, really, you just say, they're just dumb. I mean, just dumb decisions. I make dumb decisions all the time. I don't know why. And maybe they're just a tad, and I use that word just a tad to make us feel better. They're just a tad irrational. I mean, they don't really, they don't make any sense at all. And, uh, and yet you continue to make those decisions. For example, it's, it's like when I've been eating really healthy. I've been eating really, really good. Why are y'all looking at me like that? I ain't healthy. So it's like when I've been eating really healthy, I've been doing really good. You know what? I start feeling good about myself. Maybe I've been doing it for a few weeks. Maybe, maybe it's even into a month or two. And so I'm feeling really good. You know, lost a few pounds. Fitting into those jeans a little bit better. You know, my shirts are feeling a little bit better. I mean, I'm getting a little bit cocky. You know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden, Johanna <laughs> brings in some of her famous peanut butter cookies. She brings them in the office like she did back in December. And I was doing so good. And then, and then she brought those cookies in, and I lost my mind. <clears throat> I took a bite and 12 cookies later. And, and you think, you know, I'm a pastor. I'll put a little bit more jam on the bread than I should. No, I'm not kidding you. I ate 12 of those cookies before I knew what was happening. Here's the really sad thing. I got up the next morning and had lost a pound. So I've been on the Johanna peanut butter cookie diet. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I did actually lose a pound, but I knew it wouldn't last. And so I made this totally irrational decision to eat 12 cookies. Maybe for you it's more financial. You're thinking, I'm getting out of stinking debt. Anybody? You made that decision, right? You said, I'm getting out of this stinking debt. And so you start doing things really, really good. And maybe for a month or two, solid, you're making good financial decisions. You cut off the cable and the internet, start eating out less. You stop watching the QVC. <laughs> Boy, that hurt. I could, some of y'all went, oh, QVC, yeah. And so, you know, you're feeling really good. You're putting a little money back. Maybe it's been a month. Maybe it's been two. Maybe it's been three. And then all of a sudden, something breaks. Like it did in our house this week. You know, I went down to the basement. I thought, man, I, you know what? I, I smell something. I went down to the basement and realized that our hot water heater was leaking. Like all over everything. And so, you know, out of nowhere, we had to re replace the hot water heater. And maybe that's happened for you. Maybe it was a car repair, but something out of nowhere happened. And you just said, this is crazy. So I've been sacrificing. I've been putting back. I've been trying to do the right thing. And what has all of this doing without got me? And you go out and buy a brand new car. I mean, like, out of nowhere, it's a totally irrational decision. You didn't even know you needed a car until you pulled onto the car lot. And there it was, and now you've gone deeper in debt. You've got a, a higher car payment for longer. The period, the period of time has been extended. You made a really irrational decision, and you can't figure out why. So why is it so many times that we know what's right, 
But instead, we do what's easy. Why is that? Well, we're in this series called Mastermind, and we're talking about how to change our lives by changing how we think. And it's super important that we change how we think because your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And some of you, this is your first Sunday, but you know what? You go, I identify with that statement. You're exactly right. It's the thoughts that cross my head, cross uh, my brain. It is the thoughts inside my head that put me in prison and, and are constantly causing me to make some really bad, dumb, irrational decisions. So I read, uh, and this has got to be true, I read on the internet, I, I read that our brain is, is, is not static. In other words, it's actually growing. <laughs> That's why some of your heads are getting bigger and bigger. I just made that up too. It's actually growing and evolving like a computer that's, that's programming itself every time that you think a thought. Literally, your brain is, is creating what is called neural pathways. Neural pathways. And so it's kind of like I had this vision in my head. For those of you that maybe have dogs or you have animals, you know, maybe you got a, a fence in your backyard and you let that dog out. It's amazing how that dog will wear a path in a certain place in your yard, right? Well, that's kind of what we do with our thinking. When we think a thought over and over and over and over again, it creates a pathway that just makes it easier to think that thought again, which is really good if you're thinking good thoughts. It's really bad if you're thinking bad thoughts, right? So all through life, there are experiences and, and there's thoughts that are programming your brain to believe what you think is true based on what you thought, even if what you thought was not true. I'm not saying that again. I barely got through it the first time. Are you tracking with me? And I would definitely say, this is one of the things that I love about this church is, is that I can just be completely honest with you. Tell you where I'm at. What my struggles have been. What God's been teaching me. Because we're all just there, aren't we? We're still learning. None of us have arrived yet. We're still growing in our faith. And, and really it's fun. It's exciting. Sometimes it's challenging. I would definitely say that my thoughts in so many seasons of my life have been my number one worst enemy. In fact, I had a friend of mine that told me one time, he said, Scott, you just think too much. You think through things too much. You think about the situation, the problem. You dwell on it way too much. So that's why in this series I'm trying to, to teach you what I've been learning over the past few years. And so we've been looking at the beautifully mastered mind of a guy in the New Testament. We refer to him as the Apostle Paul. Now, he's a heavyweight spiritually. He's written at least 13 books, depending on whether or not you want to give him credit for writing the book of Hebrews. So he's written a lot of the New Testament. So this guy has learned a lot about how to, to master his mind. And so this guy, while he was in a Roman prison, did you pick up on that part? While he was in a Roman prison, and then, listen, this is either he's smoking crack or Jesus is real. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said it exactly like that, but it's, it's kind of the truth. You read this stuff and you think, wait a minute, is this, is this true? It is true. So writing from a Roman prison, he, he writes this very encouraging letter to the believers at Philippi. And, and, and in fact, if you'll just go out, if you just Google 
this particular letter. Most theologians believe they label it as being a letter of joy, which again is crazy. So you're in a prison, you're in a Roman prison, knowing that your execution is probably going to be certain, and yet you're writing to other people and, and you're telling them how to have joy. Listen, Jesus has either got to be real or he's on something. It's real. So he finishes up. He ends this letter with these words, Philippians 4, starting verse 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think on these things. I actually like the New King James Version better of this, of this last part of this verse. It says, it reads like this. Finally, brothers, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, it says meditate on these things. Now, some of you, like, you know, you're, if, if you're kind of religious and you've been in church your whole life, you might be wigging out a little bit right now. You can't even believe this is like from a King James Version, right? You're thinking, well, this can't be right because we all know that meditation is from the pit of hell, right? It's some kind of Eastern thing, and it ain't right. Well, hang on. I'll talk about that in just a second because that's not true. That's a lie. But why is this such a big deal? Now, remember, where is Paul? He's in a Roman prison. What is he looking at? He's looking at his execution. So here's what he says. This is a really big deal that you think on these things, that you meditate on these things because your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your thoughts are shaping you. If you cannot control what you think, you will never control what you do. So why is it that we so often make the dumbest, most irrational decisions. <clears throat> Why is it that we find ourselves going down that same neural pathway, that same old rut? Why is it that we find ourselves doing that? It's because we have the wrong mindset. That's why. So how do we change that mindset? How do we create a new way of thinking? Well, we have to create some new paths. We have to create some new neural pathways. And so you're maybe thinking, well, how do we do that? Okay, cool. How do we do that? Well, it's all about how you train your mind. And training your mind involves a whole lot more than you think. Because over the years, I've listened to some people on TV. There's books out about how to stimulate, how to train your mind, right? You've read some of the same books. And so there's some exercises that you can go through to strengthen your brain. If you want to have a better memory, there's some, there's some activities, there's some things that you can do, some mental exercises that will strengthen your brain. Uh, there are crossword puzzles. There's all these different kinds of things. But here's the deal. That's not enough. That's not enough. It's kind of like training your body. If I go to the gym and I do curls, what am I doing? I got nothing. I, I don't even. I, I, don't, I don't even have to come back with that. I'm training my bicep. But here's the thing I didn't understand for years about being in the gym. 
And you'll look at me and you'll understand I didn't understand it. What I didn't realize was to, under, to optimize my training, I had to optimize my eating. And I thought I went to the gym so I could eat more. That was my deal. You know, I thought, I'm going to the gym today, and I'm going to get on the treadmill and do 30 minutes. So that means I can go to the clock for lunch. I didn't realize that it's more to it than that. I've been told by people that, uh, that know a lot more than me about being healthy is that diet is really about 80% of being physically fit. It's not what I do with my body. It's not just what I do with my body. It's what I put in my body that matters. The same is true for your mind. To have a healthy mind, it's not just what you think about. It's not just that you go through some type, some type of mental exercise. It's also about what you put in it. So for the last uh, number of years, I've been working on training. Actually, that's not the correct term because I've trained my brain how to think in certain situations. So as soon as I'm in a, a situation, a, a crisis, um, as soon as I face a problem, I've already created this neural pathway, and immediately my mind goes down that pathway. I've already created that in my head. So what I need to do is not train it, but I need to retrain my brain. So over the last few years, I've been trying to create some new neural pathways, and here's how I've been doing it. You ready? I've been naming the lie and then meditating on the truth. I've been naming the lie and then I've been meditating on the truth. Some people think that, that meditation is some type of new age thing, but, but that's a lie. Let me give you some scripture, okay, because you're going to need this. Let me give you a couple of, uh, of verses. One out of Psalm 119, verse 15. Here's what it says. I will meditate. I will meditate on your precepts. And contemplate your ways. So meditation is just focusing my thoughts on God. <clears throat> meditation is me focusing my thoughts on God's ways, not my ways. Meditation is me focusing on God's ways, not churchy ways. That just stepped on somebody. It's focusing on truth instead of tradition. Psalm 143, verse 5. I love this. He says, I remember the days of old. And, and there is something beautiful about getting older. Because when you're older, you know what, you know what I can do? And, and there's any situation that I face right now, I can go back and say, I have been at some point in time in my life been in a situation like this. And every single time I go back and remember of those situations, you know what I always remember? That God was always faithful. God always showed up. He always worked miracles. He always did something that caused me to go, wow. Now, i got to be honest, sometimes he came in the back door. Okay, most of the time he came in the back door. He didn't like walk through the front door. He didn't ring the doorbell and say, hey, here I am. He's, most of the time he kind of like came in the back door. I didn't know it. But looking back, God always showed up. Here's what he says. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. So, if Eastern meditation is emptying your mind, I don't know anything about Eastern meditation, so I Googled it. 
And so when I Googled Eastern meditation, all of the experts I read, at least, said that that's exactly what Eastern meditation is, is that it's literally emptying your mind, right? So you're wanting to put yourself in neutral. If that's Eastern meditation, let me tell you what biblical meditation is. Biblical meditation is filling your mind, not emptying your mind. It's filling your mind with God's truth. So for me, this is going to sound so elementary, but it's the truth. So for me, I've been processing what Jesus did for me on the cross. I mean, I've been doing it for years. I mean, I've been studying verses. I've been breaking stuff down. I've been trying to look at it in every way that I possibly could. And what I realized was that a lot of the traditional stuff that I heard really wasn't really true. Jesus said in John 19. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, here's what he said. You ready? Come on. Some of y'all already know it, right? If you don't, look at the screen. It is. See, you don't believe it. And I, I know some of you are new to church. But for those of us that have been around for a while, come on, this is like Easter Sunday morning. So Jesus, last words of the cross, he said, it is. Woo! Right? Let me tell you a little bit about this Greek word. Original language of the New Testament is Greek. Koine Greek. I know you're shocked. I was a Greek minor in college. Some of you can't even believe I went to college, but I did. I'm actually educated. I know, I know. Two and a half years of Greek, so you knew I was weird, and this, this proves it. So this particular Greek word is actually the Greek word to telestai. That's the Greek word. Here's what the word means. It means paid in full. It's an accounting term. It's an accounting term. So Jesus came to pay in full, which means there was a debt. There was a sin debt. It was the debt that we owe, not him. He's perfect. He never sinned. But what he did on the cross was took my sin and he paid my debt. And he said, it's finished. I paid it. It's done. That's like one of them drop, your mic, drop the mic and walk away. You know what I'm talking about? Can you picture Jesus doing that? I kind of like to see. Boom. And then he did his hands like that. I'm just saying. I have to focus on the truth. Let me tell you why I have to do that. I have to focus on the truth because my mind, when it wanders, I change this. I, I actually change this. I said it doesn't. My mind never wanders toward the truth. If my mind wanders, it'll always wander toward the lie. It'll do it every single time. I'll have those thoughts. You're not good enough. Who, who are you trying to fool? You know you're not good enough. People around you know you're not good enough. I mean, you, you try. You know, and you do good for a day or two. I mean, there might have been even stretches. <laughs> no, I've never been weaker. I've never gone weeks. Uh, only days. And, and then I, I find myself, I slip back into that same pattern again. <coughs> I commit that same sin again. I mess up. And so I have those thoughts. I'm never going to get this right. Let me show you how this has played out in my mind for years. Every Sunday morning, I wake up early. I still do. Like this morning, I never set an alarm clock. I literally, every night, every, every Saturday night, if I go to bed, I say, Lord, whatever time you want to get me up in the morning, I'm cool. 
which really, I'm, I'm really not, but he's God, so what am I going to say? You know, so God, get me up when you want to get me up. And so this morning, it was 444. I go, really? 444? Like 445 would have been a really good number. 5 o'clock would have even been better. Why 444 of all the numbers? And so I would get up, and then I would spend about an hour in prayer. So I'd pray for about an hour, and you're probably thinking, well, that sounds like a good idea. You're our pastor. You should be praying, right, over the message. Sounds like a good thing. And it is a great idea, but let me tell you what I've realized over the years. I realized over the years that I would spend most of that time confessing and asking for forgiveness. Now, when I say that I would spend most of that time praying and asking forgiveness, I mean, I like, I, I would, it didn't take long. I would pray, and then I would go back and say, Lord, I, you remember that, I, we just talked about it, that thing, I need you to forgive me. And he said, Lord, have mercy, son. I mean, we done talked about this for 30 minutes. It's the same thing over and over and over and over. Any of you, am I the only one? Somebody, raise your hand and say, you've done the same thing too. Like, I just keep going back over and over. Like, I didn't say it right the first time, so I'm going to change it, use some these and thous or something to make it more spiritual. It sounds better. It sounds churchy. You got me this time, so you've forgiven me. And I would just wear myself out begging for God's forgiveness. And then I would show up at church, literally scared out of my mind. I would. I would be scared out of my mind. And I would walk across this stage, and I would open up my little notebook, and I would think to myself, how could God possibly use somebody like you? And the, and the word in my head, this will offend some of you, most of you it won't. I would think, you know what, you're just a piece of crap. That's what you are. And, and you're the pastor of this church. Who do you think you are? So I'd look back over the week, I'd look at my thoughts and the things that I'd said and the things that I, that I did, and I'd just be paralyzed by fear. Let me sure you understand something. I've never depended on my talent or gift or whatever you call it as a speaker. I've never depended on my preparation, and I prepare hard. At least 30 hours it goes into every message. I've never depended on that. See, the only thing that I think I have going for me and I've listened to myself, <laughs> I've listened to myself preach. And I thought, why do people come? I mean, God didn't give me a preacher's voice. I don't have that, you know, that deep baritone. I got friends that do. And then I, I, sound, I listen to myself, I think you're like a squeaky little mouse or something. I mean, it's <laughs> awful. And then I'm, I'm southern as grits. Y'all know it, I can't preach anywhere else. Nobody else in the country would understand a thing I said. I tried preaching in foreign countries, and they go, what? The interpreter goes, I got nothing. I don't know how to. <laughs> See, the only thing that I know is that if anything happens here on a Sunday morning, it is the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Not me. I've never claimed that it would be me. I've never wanted it to be me. But then Jesus shows up. The Holy Spirit shows up. And I go, wow. So I'm a mess. I'm not perfect. And Satan loves to use my imperfections to literally scare me to death and convince me that God could never use somebody like me. And it's the only time when he tells me the truth, right? It's the only time when he points out your sin and you, and you go, you are telling the truth. It is, you're exactly right. 
that he leads you down that pathway of defeat. So I would stab the lie with the truth. So we talked about that last week in case you missed it. You know, we capture the thought. If you were here last week, I said, that's funny. I didn't want to capture it. I want to set it free. That's, I got the thought in my head. That's what I've been messing with. But to, but to stab it, to capture the truth means that I take the word of God, I take the truth, and I stab the lie with it. And I like being on the offense. You know what I'm talking about? I'm a little aggressive from time to time. It's okay. Jesus still loves me. So the truth of it is, is that none of us are perfect. In fact, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. That's the Greek word harmatia. We've all missed the mark of perfection. We've missed the mark of, of the glory of God, which was Jesus. But Jesus settled that on the cross. He said, listen, every pastor I talk to, it seems now, I, I, I challenge him with this thought. So when Jesus died on the cross, he died once for all sin. Can we all agree on that? Yeah. Wow. And when Jesus did it, you know what he said? He said, to die." He said, it is finished. So when Jesus said, it's finished, it's done, it's over, it's complete, it's been paid in full, wow, I'm forgiven. Let me give you another little bit of tidbit information about this little word, to telestai. It comes from a Greek word. It's in the perfect tense. Let me tell you what the perfect tense is. It's really powerful. It's a combination of two tense. It's a combination of past tense and present tense, which sounds a little confusing, right? It's really not. Here's what it means. It means that something that happened in the past is still producing present-day results. That's what the word means. It means it is finished, and it will continue to be finished. I love this. I got this from some theologian on the Internet. It's got to be right. I love what he said. He put it this way. He said, it's a resting place. And I went, yes, it is. All my work, I don't have to work anymore. I don't have to try to get on that performance treadmill to be better, to do better, and to fail. And to try to figure out how to get it right. Because I don't stand in my righteousness. I stand in his righteousness. I am forgiven. And I'm creating this new neural pathway with God's truth. And I can't but tell you how that set me free. And I know some of you are struggling right now. You're thinking, oh, no, 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 Pastor. But, but I still sin. Yeah, you st sin is still in us, but it's not on us. We've put on some new clothes. We've put on some new righteousness. Before, if you don't know Jesus, you're standing in your own righteousness, right? And so that's where you're struggling. You try to do better. You think, I'm going to work my way to God. I'm going to get better and then go to church. And maybe someday if I get a little bit better, maybe I'll give my life to Jesus. And what Jesus is trying to tell you is, no, stop it. You'll never be good enough on your own. Put my righteousness on. Put some new clothes on. And be free. So I want to ask you this question. What's been holding you hostage? No kidding. I mean, I just want you to process it. Think about it. What's been holding you hostage? Because you've got to name it. And then you've got to look for the truth that demolishes because that's what the Word of God does. It brings about the demolition of this prison, this prison of your own thoughts. 
those thoughts that take you down a path that you know is going to lead to your destruction and your defeat. The only way that you can defeat that, it is the truth of the Word of God. But you've got to name, name the lie. Then you've got to figure out the truth so that you can stab it. So you can say, I'm not a prisoner of that addiction. I'm not. That's a lie. I'm somebody brand new. I have the power of Jesus dwelling inside of me. This dunamis, this explosive, miraculous power of God's living within me. For me to say that my name is Scott and I'm an addict is a lie. My name is Scott. I'm a grateful follower of Jesus. And I have been set free. I can overcome anything that's haunted me. My Heavenly Father is for me, not against me. He's crazy about me. Whatever it is, you've got to name the lie and you've got to stab it with the truth. So those of you that would say, you know what? Man, I need to be, I need to, I need to get on the train with you. I've got to retrain my mind. I've got some really, really bad neural pathways. If that's you, would you just be honest enough? Man, we're not going to bow our heads and close our eyes. We're not taking the chicken way out. We're going to say, you know, right here with everybody, because this is a safe place that you can just raise your hand and say, man, that's me. Can you do it? Yeah. If that's you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this, uh, this fan. And on one side, I want you to write the lie. This can change. I would have wrote to Telestai, but on that end, but I couldn't spell it. So anyway, on this side, I just want you to put the lie, whatever lie it is. Okay? Can you just think? Go ahead and start processing. What is the lie? Maybe for you, it's I'm not good enough. Who knows? Now, some of you right now, it's okay. You're going to be a little concerned about the people around you, right? You're thinking, hey, no, their business. What if they see? You don't think we already know? You're not that good at covering things up. But maybe you're brand new. This is your first day. Or maybe you've just been busy for the last few weeks and you're kind of uncomfortable. It's okay. I'm not trying to force you. But I want you to process. As a follower of Jesus, what's that thought? In just a few minutes, the band's going to come out and uh, they're going to have their paddles with them. And, and they're going to be these folks that are going to be standing right here on the front of the stage. And our band, whole band would do it, but, but they've got instruments to play so they can't hold up, paddle, and play all at the same time. But these girls are going to do it. And, and this, this beautiful young man they're going to let you know they're struggling. That bad pathway that's been created in their head. And then, I want you to write the truth that stabs the lie. See, for me, really, it doesn't really matter. I find that no matter what this thought is, the truth for me personally is always this one. It's finished. Jesus said on the cross, to tell us that it's finished. It's, it's something that happened in the past that is producing present day results. 
you're a follower of Jesus, and uh, maybe you know what the lie is, but you're not real, not real confident about the truth. I just want to share with you a passage of Scripture. Man, this is an awesome passage. It's got a lot of truth in it. And maybe you'll find some truth here for you. It's out of Romans 8. It goes like this. What then shall we say in response to these things? God is for us. Who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all? How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge? Come on now. Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect, those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? And I love this. Paul says, nobody, no one. You know what no one means in the Greek? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. No. In all of these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons nor present things present or, or the future or any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation is able to separate me from the love of God that is anchored in Christ Jesus. So you are not your past. You're not what you did. You are not what or who other people think that you are. You are forgiven. He says that you're redeemed and free. You're not held hostage to your unhealthy thoughts. Worry is not your master. It's not. That's a lie. You trust in God, then the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind and your soul in Christ Jesus. You've not been given a spirit of fear. That's the word. You've not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. You are not a slave to your habits. You are not a prisoner to addiction. You have been rescued from the power of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's light. That's who you are. That's God's truth. You are empowered. You are called. You are chosen. You are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance that you would do. God's for you. He's crazy about you. Listen, watch. He loves you. And nothing can separate you from His love. That is the truth. So I hope that you're a follower of Jesus. I hope that you're, hope you're writing down the lie. And now the Holy Spirit is just speaking to you saying, here's the truth. You put the truth down. There are those of you that have been believing a lie for way too long spiritually. And uh, you just believe that God doesn't love you. That's, that's a lie. It's, it's a lie because God is love. Love isn't something that he does. It's, it's someone that he is. It's who he is. And he loves you and he's crazy about you. And he, he's proven that love. He proved it. It's not just words on a page, this thing that we call the Bible. That's not it. There was an event that took place in history some 2,000 years ago when Jesus showed the love of God by giving his life on the cross. Why? I've already talked about it. To pay a sin debt that he didn't know, but we did. 
And he's been raised from the dead and he's alive. He is the perfection and holiness. He became sin. As the perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sin. He's alive. If you're here this morning and you don't know him as your Savior, then every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Maybe you could ride on your paddle, you know? You could just ride on your paddle. <clears throat> the lies that I'm not loved. The truth of it is, I am loved. And right now, right there in your seat, maybe you just pray a prayer or something like this. You would say, Jesus, I have just been believing the lie for way so long. For way too long. So, Jesus, I'm just telling you right now that I believe in you. I believe in you. And I can't thank you enough that you would be willing to go to the cross and to pay the penalty for sin on the cross. Thank you. And I believe that you're alive. And I'm asking you right now to forgive me of all my sin. You paid the price and you said it's finished. I want to accept that. I want to follow you for the rest of my days. Lord, you are amazing. God, thank you for the beautiful journey, Lord, that you've had me on. God, teaching me truth, teaching me to dig into the simplest of truths, the crucifixion and what happened on the cross, to understand it maybe in the kind of details that somehow I missed for way too many years. Thank you, Lord, for setting me free. And at this morning, Lord, as I stand here, I don't stand clothed in my righteousness, Lord, but I stand clothed in your righteousness, empowered, strengthened. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Lord, thank you for what you do to unworthy sinners like us. You're amazing. It's in your sweet name we pray. Let's stand together. No height, no death, no life or final breath could ever separate us from your love. No failure. No mistake, no loneliness or pain could ever separate us from your love. Could ever separate us from your love. On the other side of everything I'm afraid of, you were standing with your arms wide open. Found. 
Standing with 